Welcome to the Spirituality of Strength Training with your host, Anna Willard. This podcast is dedicated to bring you knowledge, wisdom, inspiration, and guidance to wherever you may be on your health journey. For those who are new to me, I am a kettlebell strength coach, a movement nerd ninja, and an empowerment coach on a mission to bring you hope through our health. The root word of health comes from wholeness. The root word of wholeness comes from holy. Despite our differences with religion and spiritual beliefs, we are all human beings with a body that is designed to reflect this holiness through our health. It wasn't until my seventh year as a health profession where I went into a deep awakening of understanding what does it mean to train my spirit and to heal my spirit through the physical. You will hear a little bit more about my story from other health professionals, from strength coaches, psychiatrists, spiritual gurus and leaders, to other people who talk about the importance of our health as a community body and the health of our planet as well. This podcast is to allow us to step into our whole health, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Thank you for being here. If you love what you hear, I encourage you to subscribe. If you want more inspiration and quotes from these podcasts, I encourage you to follow me on Instagram at Anna underscore Willard underscore. I encourage you to do a little bit of a movement, either yoga flow, go for a walk, sit in nature as you enjoy this episode. Welcome, strong ones. Today's guest is Kenny Davis. I know him as Mr. Davis. He was my high school volleyball coach and also the high school history teacher. He's been teaching for 36 years, been coaching or coaching, excuse me, for 36 years, teaching for 30, refereeing basketball, everything from sixth grade to NCAA for 40 years. And he's been married for 30 years and has two kids. Kenny, welcome to the show. I'm super honored to have you. And thank you for going out of your way and getting some of the equipment that we needed to do this. So thank you for that. Just for you. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if you don't mind, can you just tell us first of what you've been very active with a lot of sports as a coach. What sports have you done as a young adult or that kind of led you to coaching? Have you done a lot of sports that led to coaching or what's your story with athletics? I always grew up with athletics in my own family. We were a very athletic family. That was before girls' sports even came in to high school. But my sisters were very athletic, too. And one sister married and majored in physical education in college. But my parents truly believed the more active we were, the less we would get into any kind of trouble in school. They only had one goal in which all of us graduate from high school. As it was, five graduated from college. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. We didn't, I didn't come from a very well-off family. It was a struggle. We managed to stay together. And my dad was very proud of us that we, that we could. I 
whenever he watched us, he was very supportive at the end, didn't say anything, didn't tell us how to play or anything like that. He was just very supportive the whole time, all the way through. And it didn't matter if we were in the high school plays or playing athletics or just going out and being organized in school and having fun in school. But we better get the grades. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, with you mentioned how it was a struggle growing up and you didn't come from like a very well-off family. How did sports and playing sports at a young age help you kind of go through that struggle and kind of create this discipline aspect, but also that perseverance aspect of keep moving forward? You gain various types of discipline. It's always good if you have a coach that, that will establish disciplinary policies right away because you know how far to take that coach. And uh, I tried to implement some of those things that I learned from my high school coaches. The stuff that I didn't like out of my high school coaches, I tried to do away with too. And uh, I also was an assistant coach at Central Washington University under a Hall of Fame coach by the name of Dean Nicholson. And he taught me quite a lot of things. And uh, one of the things he always taught me was never argue with the official. And that really has served me good as well as you've noticed that very seldom would I ever say anything to the officials. I let them do their job and I try to do mine. And uh, when I step out on a court, I expect that from the coach. I listen better to coaches who don't say anything. And then when they do say something, you better listen. That's the type of person I want to be as a coach. And try. it goes down to if the coach is disciplined, the kids are going to be disciplined. Right. It's kind of that lead by example aspect. With refereeing and being an official for basketball, has there been a really hard time with like a coach that hasn't been very respectful? And like, how have you used that mentality or how have you handled that situation during a heat, uh, like a heated moment? Uh, I was doing a state game at the, at the Tacoma dome between two teams and uh, they were rivals and they had played in the state semifinals prior to that and the year before and uh, I didn't know this but there were over 13,000 people watching my game and it went three overtimes well the coach that lost didn't like what we did and uh, as far as officials and I got up the next morning at my sister's and my sister said you made the paper and I said I don't read those things I never did read the things but anyway it goes on and uh, you know I made some pretty tough calls in the game. Yeah, you just have to. And I still remember the head of the head of the Washington State Interscholastic Activities Association taking me for a walk. The game was Wednesday and he got there on Friday and he talked to me about it. And uh, I looked at him and I said, you've been an official and you've been in a zone. Am I correct? He said, yes. I said, I could have retired on Wednesday night. I did the perfect. And he talked to me about, I still remember him saying, well, talked to me about the tea and I said which one and he said you called more than one I said yeah I called two one on one team one on the other and he said well he doesn't have anything to talk about that so it was it you get those moments and you try to take away and block those things out and just concentrate and do your job but most of all make sure that you communicate with the kids on the floor if you communicate they have fun and vice versa And you try to prepare yourself if the coach is going to get fired up. 
And if he does, you try to calm him down as best you can. Now, with also with coaching, you've coached a lot of different sports. You've done volleyball, basketball, baseball. Is there something else that I've missed? Or is that all that you've coached on with the sports? Oh, golf. Oh, and golf. Okay. So with those, what one has been the most challenging? Or have there been like really challenging moments with all those sports coaching? Or is there one sport that's a little more challenging than the other to coach? I don't think so. There are different styles that you do. Golf is individual, regardless how they make it a team. You still have to have individual players that are going to play well for you. And they all have to be very consistent about it. In baseball, you can have one or two links that are not that good and still be highly successful. Basketball, you can have one or two scorers and you're going to be successful. In volleyball, you got to have all six out there working as a unit. And I think that's what turned me on to volleyball more than more than the other sports. I really like the incorporation of, of a team uh, out there. And uh, it's no greater feeling than, than the whole team is together on something. And sure, you have your times in which you're going to, kids are going to question their teammates, but hopefully we, we try to head that situation off before it gets too bad. And basically we talk. My seniors... I relied on my seniors more than anything as far as the field. And it would take me two or three years just to get them involved where, hey, it's okay to talk to me about issues and things. But a lot of times I'd have to say, okay, you've had your say now. I have to make the decision, don't I? Yep, at least we've had our say. And so it worked out for me that way. Yeah. Now, as a male coach, because I know you coached women female, or women volleyball, and you coached me a little bit with that when I was in Freeman High School. How is that different to coach the opposite gender and to kind of create that trust aspect with female, especially at that time of age that they're going through through high school? You uh, have to set boundaries as a coach. I always went on the, if I have to tape a girl ankle or something like that, it's always in public. I don't try to hide anything. If I have to demonstrate something on proper positioning, proper, I make sure that, sure, I might have to grab their arm or something like that. But if I have to say, see how smooth her back is, I never touch that. And I always say, see where her hands are. I might be able to adjust her hand. But as far as that, I set ground rules for myself that that the girls are, are very comfortable and they're not, how would I say, threatened by an approach. And I think that's really served as well. Uh, whenever I had a male assistant, I always told them that. These are the guidelines that I expect. The girls know the guidelines. And if I had to talk to one of the girls individually, it was always with someone. Preferably, and I never coached a single year without having one female assistant. Because if I have to take that girl and really talk to them about a serious situation. I want the female in there. And that that served me well. It really did serve me well. Because uh, five years after I retired from Freeman, I went to Ferris. I was the head volleyball coach there for five years. And I think, I think that might have gotten me the job was I was able to set the boundaries for, and the AD was a former coach. And she said, you establish boundaries for those kids to understand that. And so even though there are times as a coach, you're not going to be successful, you are successful. 
you can't worry about winning trophies or anything like that. You're trying to develop young people. Yeah. Well, and I know I have a couple of things to go off of what you just shared. First question is with female and women can be kind of catty, especially at that prime age of developing through high school and everything. How have you as a coach and a leader diminished that on a sport that is so intertwined as a team effort with women? A lot of times you have to bring out that leadership in that person. One of the better players that I ever had, she was very good, but she had to learn how to become a leader and how to talk to kids. We used to spend a lot of time. She was a setter. (laughs) We used to spend a lot of time on how you want to approach somebody in order to get to them. My first setter at Freeman, nobody, nobody on the team disagreed with her because they were afraid they were going to get beat up by her. I didn't find that out until later. But they said we understood that she established the grounds for you. Now, the other setters, the other setters, they were able to grow into their situation as far as being a leader and being a talker. And uh, I still remember one gal, her uh, mom came up to me and said, what would you do to my daughter? And I go, I don't know. And uh, her mom says she used to be very shy and hardly say anything at home, but now she has opened up and sitting down at the dinner table and just won't just keep yak, yak, yak. And I said, Mom, she's growing up. And sometimes you get in that, how would I say, that phase in your life to where you just don't feel like you're, you're not doing things right no matter how hard you try. And so just keep telling them you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. But she outgrew that. She was one of my most trusted seniors when she did become a senior. Yeah. Now, can you, you kind of went into this a little bit of character development with sports and the aspect of kind of pulling that leadership out of your athletes. And what are some things that the listener can take away for those who are listening, maybe those who are in high school who are in sports or those who are just on a team atmosphere with either work? What are some things that you can give the listener that would help them develop their leadership skills? Well, not only in sports, but in, in the classroom. And in my last 10 years, I really emphasize this, that no matter where you go, what you do, you have to have self-discipline in order to be accomplished, in order to be good at what you do. And that includes being in the classroom, especially when my hearing was going bad. I say, I need you to be disciplined enough to uh, be quiet when somebody else is speaking so that I can hear them and understand them. And I had the classes understood because I said, if uh, I ask you five or six times what you said, it's not your fault. It's my fault. And so we really concentrated on discipline aspect of the kids. And you might remember I had a no hat rule in my class, girls or boys. My last day there, I looked at a kid who was really reluctant about taking his hat off at the start of the year. I even had a talk with his father and his father agreed with me. So he chose to start taking his hat off. I looked at him and I said, look, this is my last day. You can wear your hat in class. And he looked at me and said, can't do it, Mr. Davis. And so things like that, that shows discipline development. If you have that, they're going to be fine. It's the kids that go, haywire that you try to grasp and stuff. 
And I'd never believe this, but some of the tough kids that I had in class, counselor would come down and say, how do you get through to this kid because he likes you? I go, I don't know. I set ground rules for him and I'm very highly disciplined at that. You know that. And they, well, the kids really like it that way. And all kids look for structure, especially the kids who've never had structure in their life. They want that. And that's the same way with an athlete. They want structure. Would you say that's true even for adults? We want structure. We want that discipline. Beside, like, no matter what phase of life you're in, like, that's something that we always long for or crave? I think so. As I'm retired, I have to find myself more self-discipline to make sure that I accomplish things every day. There's so many people that when they retire, they get lost. I was, I got into reading a lot. I work out. I work on classic cars. I uh, play golf. (laughs) I ride bike. I try to stay more active than I could in school when you're working, when you're teaching full time. To answer the question about parents being disciplined, Whenever I had second generation, this is a true story. I had second generation. I had about three or four kids in class in which I had their parents as students. And I read off this one kid's name and he said, yeah, my mom and dad told me not to mess with you because you're a highly disciplined person. I said, good. We won't have any problem then, will we? He said, no. And I looked at him and said, by the way, you're sitting in the same seat your dad did. And I never even put them there. <laughs> and so, good. you know, it carries on. Sooner or later, those people realize that they have to have discipline for their kids in order to even start learning. Yeah. I know for myself with being an entrepreneur and not having that like structure of a job or a schedule or anything like that, like that's one of the biggest things I've known or realized with my life of just like, okay, I need to make sure I have some type of structure of something that will keep me in that discipline mode of either training or like these interviews and obviously with working with my clients in that aspect. But there's that structure that we all, I think, gives us that grounding aspect of kind of like doesn't feel like we're lost or I don't know how to fully explain it, but I know that that's the biggest thing where I'm like, creating my own structure now of realizing, oh, I have to like up my self-discipline even more. And that's one thing as an athlete, I think it just kind of isn't already in tuned, but it's fascinating for me to see how I've used my athletics now as in my profession as well. And I think that has helped me kind of still create dreams and pursue these dreams. My father always had a theory, if you're self-disciplined, your self-esteem will be strong. And when I remind myself of that. And I looked at him and he passed away at a very young age, 67. He weighed 70 pounds when he passed away. He struggled with rheumatoid arthritis all his life. But he always said, you know, if you're strong and disciplined, you're going to have a good self, self-esteem. And a lot of, hopefully I applied that to my own children. They've never ha- been without jobs. They've always, I haven't had to get them up to go to work or they do it on their own. And so a lot has to do with how you function in society and how how you want to function in society. If you look at somebody and say, man, I want to be just like that, it's not going to work. (laughs) you got to be your own self. I mean, in athletics, whenever I used to have a sibling come along and play for another person, they couldn't have their sister's number. 
I would never give them their sister's number. And they'd argue with me and I'd say, you're your own person. You're not your sister. Hopefully that helped them a little bit understand. I love your approach as a coach of how much you see the aspect of not just winning as the team, but also winning for the individual, just like you said. You want them to be them, and you made sure that they felt significant with their own number and stepping into that role. And I think that's what has made you such a memorable person in my life. I know I'm going to segue in going into a next aspect. As a coach, because you do look at such the individual and as the team overall, what insights do you have with individuals to know when they're kind of floundering? Because I know in my life, it was my sophomore year, and it was a time where I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. It almost cost my life. For those who don't know about what I'm referring to, I write about it in my book. I'll share that in the show notes. But I know with you, you were the first person within the school that kind of gave my parents kind of like the heads up of like, something's not right with Anna. And I know if it wasn't for you and being in tune with me as just a person, not just with my athletics and my performance, you know, I wouldn't be here who I am today or here. So my question is, (laughs) no, seriously, because that route that I was on was not a very healthy route at all. So my question is for you as a teacher and a coach, how can parents or how can other people in leadership really be in tune for the person as an individual and not just the performance, but really making sure that they're doing okay? And it's not just checking in and making sure they're having a good day or they're happy, but really making sure that they're safe and being truly authentic of who they're meant to be. Well, people like that, I know when, when you entered the halls at Freeman, there's been three girls just like you that I've had. Two Freeman, one at Ferris. And uh, the thing is about that is in the first two practices, I knew that those people weren't happy and that I could see it in their face. I'm a good judge of character because they'd walk in the gym, they wouldn't smile, they'd just go, what are we doing today? And uh, usually I'd just walk up to you and and I still remember looking at a girl from Ferris and say, she was from Wyoming and she came from a divorced parents. Her mom moved back up to Spokane with her sister and her. I looked at her and I said, you miss your friends, don't you? She just started bawling right there. And I said, I think I get it. I don't understand it. I think I get it. You're going to be okay here. If you just tell them that they're going to be okay. Another gal who came from uh, Iowa, I met her and her uncle. She was going to move in with her uncle and aunt and go to Freeman. I met her at Ron's drive-in with her uncle. And uh, I got to know her a little bit. And I said, I hit a real nerve when I said, okay, you've done all this athletically, softball, volleyball, basketball at a small school in Iowa. That's how come she was going to go to Freeman. I said, how are your grades? <laughs> she just started bawling right there. And I just said, okay, that's the first thing that's got to get straightened out is you're going to be with a group of girls that are highly academic. I mean, and they will expect you to be highly academic too. Uh, her last year, her senior year, I think she was four point all the way through. And with you, I could see that you were still trying to fit into with the school. And when I got to talk to your parents, I said, she's going to be fine. It's just a matter of time. 
in which you're going to find yourself here and you won't want to go anyplace else. As, as it happened, your whole family went out there. It's just a unique place to where if you need somebody, somebody's going to be always there for you. We're in a big school. They might not be there for you. Yeah. I think with going into that aspect of the community that Freeman does create, for those who don't know, I transitioned or transferred out to Freeman my freshman year of high school after going to a very private Christian school, first through eighth grade. And so transitioning to a very public school versus a very private school was a big shocker for me. So sports was really a, played a huge role um, with connecting with people and everything and the coaches and the teachers. With Freeman, there was a big tragedy and traumatic event this past fall where it's crazy to think about this, but my baby brother, who's 16, I think he's 16. Yeah, he's 16. 16? Yeah, he's driving. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I know. <laughs> you got to give your mom a call and say, I'm not on the road yet. <laughs> it's too good. Anyway, but his, one of his classmates that caused a school shooting, and it was one of those things, once I found out about it, my heart just sank and I couldn't even really, I just, I know during that day when I was kind of still processing this aspect of like, there was a school shooting and my brother could have been shy, but my mo- he's safe. And for those who don't know, this is the same school that my mom's a school nurse at. And it's still, even though I am fully removed from Freeman, but I'm a Freeman alumni, it had a huge impact on me. And my sister said it perfectly. It's being like violated of your, oh, how'd she say? It? I don't remember. I have to check in with her again. But she said something about like, it's being violated of a home or some aspect of your home even though it's not your home anymore, it's still a violation. So my question for you, Kenny, is did that have the same effect on you? And how have you managed with that trauma moving forward? Because it's still, it hasn't even been a year yet. And I know it's still playing a big role on my family and on the Freeman community. I was in Canada and my sister called me and she was from the Gig Harbor area. Did you hear what happened? I go, no. So I was out of cell range for quite a while. Once I uh, got back in cell range, I managed to get a hold of the principal and say, if you need anything, I'm here for you. And I think that that really helped me. Two of the young ladies that were shot, I had their parents as students. Now that really hit home because I've known those kids since they were born. And uh, I've watched them grow up as well. So uh, that really hit home for me because I didn't, I didn't want to, one of them I called, I called her grandfather that night. And I go, I want to know how she's doing. And he was very upfront. I mean, she had to have her arm stretched out three inches so that they could put pins in her arm. The other one that was shot through the hip and shattered a vertebrae and almost hit her, her uh, jugular. I mean, that was just a miracle that she's, she's still walking. And I saw her mom two weeks ago, and, and I saw her, too. And she's they're pretty much back to normal. But psychologically, it took away what innocence that we had at Freeman. It took it away. It took alumni's innocence away. It took students away. We still have teachers that are struggling with the issue. Uh, the principal asked me to come out and volunteer for a couple of days, which I did. And uh, my main job, I felt, was to give some uplifting to them. We had some former Freeman teachers who were now administrators 
come back and they're going, man, I don't know these kids. I was only a, what, a year and a half removed from them, so I knew a lot of them still. That made it a lot easier for me to see me walking down the hall and the kids are all coming up to me. And it was tough, uh, especially the first couple of hours. Kids are crying on you and you're crying with them. And uh, that's part of the cleansing process. And I just hope that they, the one thing that I hope that they'll never get over is how valuable that life is and can be. It's, it's pretty astounding. I know we had a lot of counselors out there. And when class did start, one of the teachers had an emergency phone call. I walked in and the counselors are from different schools. They're just standing up in front. And I, I looked at the counselor and I just said, I got this class. Okay. Back. Uh, another one, I went down and uh, the teacher was trying to explain some things and issues. I walk in and she looked at me and says, oh, Mr. Davis, would you like to say a few words? Because she didn't know what to say. And afterward, I talked for about 20 minutes about being strong and overcoming these things. You know me, very seldom do I ever put something on Facebook. But I, I wrote something pretty extensive on Facebook. Yeah, I remember seeing that. About how we are better than that. We have to rise above that. I talked about that. And so it reassured the kids. I felt like I had never left the building. I was so busy those two days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just bouncing around and uh, trying to help out where I could. And that helped me quite a bit. One of the, the science teacher, I'm not going to use any name, he had to help. Uh, the individual who passed away. And I got to talk to him on his, I tried to go into each of those teachers on their uh, prep time, sit there with them. And that was pretty emotional. It really rocked that science teacher pretty hard because uh, he said I didn't sleep for four straight days. I mean, that's understandable. And I think with, I don't know if you can go into this, but the Freeman community in that aspect of like, I remember when I first arrived onto the school premise and just, I was like, it was the, the gymnasium was filled and I was just scanning for my parents and my family. And I saw a familiar face in the eyes and it just, it just brought comfort so much to me already. Just at that moment, like he didn't have to say anything. It was just those eyes that spoke. And then he like guided me to my family. So that's where I cherish so much. Oh, I didn't mean to get a little emotional. <laughs> the strength of the community that's at Freeman. And I hope, my hope is, is that this strengthens it even more for those kids. I can't even imagine being at that age of a sophomore year because that was the year that I was going through a lot of, um, not transitions, but just that's a very crucial age of trying to figure out who you want to be moving forward. And when the lives are cut off like that, maybe I got a dose of it when I was early because... Uh, I had a brother who was killed. I was 19. He was 30. His kids were 8 and 10. And at his memorial service, my little niece broke down. She finally realized who they were talking about, talking about her dad. And so maybe I got a taste of that. that I mean, I still remember my mom crying on my mom's shoulder that, that same day. And she goes, you got to keep living. You got to keep living. And I've always remembered that, that you got to keep living. And I don't know, the things that you get from your parents, you don't realize that you got from your parents. Because 
as you're a teenager, you know everything and teachers know nothing and your parents know nothing and you know everything. And, and when, when you graduate from high school, parents get pretty smart between the ages of 18 and 21. I don't feel as if they become your parents anymore. They, they become one of your best advisors and your friend. They'll listen to what you do. And it's almost like my son. He calls me and says, uh, Dad, what do you think about us buying a house? And I said, I think you've already got your decision made up. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you're right. I just wanted to let you know. And I said, well, I think it's great. And I said, do you need any help financially? He said, I'll let you know. They didn't. They did it right. They did it themselves. And so that's stuff like that really brings it back. But uh, it comes back to going through those experiences and also being disciplined enough in order to rise above that. Yeah. Cause I've experienced, I've had um, similar stories of when I was 13, I lost a cousin who was like an older brother to me. When I was my first year out in Seattle, I lost a very dear friend. She was 30. And so it was those moments kind of allowed me to realize the aspect of what, how much life is a gift and everything. If anyone from Freeman is listening to this, what advice do you have for them that, that brings a little bit of hope to them in the community of Freeman? I think the community at Freeman, each one has to handle it their own way. I think the parents have to set the example for their kids so that they understand it, that, hey, look, this is not the end of your life, but it's the beginning of your life. And you have to cherish that as you go through. But you never want to forget that moment. You never do. I was talking to the grandfather one, and I asked how the girl's doing. He said, She's doing okay, but psychologically, it's going to be there all her life. Yes, it is. It's going to be with all of us all our life. But how we react to that is on a more positive side of things. And uh, that's what, well, you know me and my classrooms. I, I always wanted to be more positive than negative. Sure, teachers are going to have their negative side because they get tired of a, a student's not cooperating. But I never really did have that. I only had maybe one or two that didn't cooperate. And to this day, I don't talk to them because I think you, you knew what I always said that, look, you can go out in the hall and call me any name you want. <laughs> but when you graduate, I get to call you any name. <laughs> and so that makes them think that, hey, look, am I doing it right? You always put in their court to make a decision. And I think that the, I talked to one lady today at the club. She's wearing a Freeman Strong shirt. And I said, can I ask where you got that? Oh, well, I'm a teacher at CD, and we passed them out. And she goes, we have some friends. I told her about my background there. And uh, I said, I did know the shooter and the boy who passed away. And that, that made it really tough. But what can people do about it? Society is looking for answers right now. They're, they're looking to blame everybody and anybody. But they still need to get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, how are you today? Are you going to be good or are you going to be something different? So that's, that's how you look at it. Yeah. Now, you may be able to answer this, maybe not. I know for myself and my story of how I've dealt with a lot of death within my own life of um, very close friends and family, I've always gone back to athletics of like, I'm going to play this game for this person, or I'm going to play this game in honor of this type of life that they lived. Have you found yourself kind of finding athletics or exercise the same approach or valuing your life a little bit more with that exercise or keeping your health that way? The only thing I can say is 
let's say I called my father two nights before he passed away. And I was in college. I was in Ellensburg, and he was up in hometown. And I said, Dad, I have a tournament this weekend that I'm going to play in, and I want you to come. I'll, I'll see if I can make it, and you know, I'll take him. It was no big deal. But at about 5 a.m., this is the night before he passed away, at 5 a.m., I heard the phone in my uh, room, and I picked it up, and I grabbed it, and I said, hi, Mom, what's wrong with Dad? And I just had that feeling. That week, I went home that day. And I still played in the tournament that weekend. And you want to know why I played in the tournament that weekend? Because that is something that he would want me to do. I was on my way to Reardon when I heard that my uh, sister, who I am the closest to in age, passed away. And uh, I still remember the guy. As a matter of fact, it was the grandfather of the girl who got shot. Looked at me and says, we can do this too, man, if you want to go home. And I said, no, because it's something she would want me to do. So you have to look at it like that. As far as uh, I'm going to dedicate this to this guy, I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. I am the kind of guy that say, what would they want me to do? And so I've always, I've always moved forward on what they would want me to do. And the one thing that they would want me to do is continue my life and be happy. So I've always remembered that. Uh, my last sister in January passed away. I was at Lakeside High School. And I in between games when I got the phone call that she wasn't going to make it. And uh, my wife and daughter were already home here, setting a plane flight for me the next day. And uh, I knew something was going on prior to the first game. Second game, I had to tell my crew that my sister's not going to make it. And they asked me, said, uh, you want to go home? I said, no, this is something that she would want me to do. And they were proud of that. that my dad was proud that we were able to do those things. My sister saw me referee one time in front of 13,000 people in Chicago. And she knew how much I enjoyed it. Now that I'm 61, <laughs> I'm not sure how many more miles I got on my legs. <laughs> <laughs> you can't look at it as a dedication. I look at it as something they would want you to do. Yeah, that's great. I love that approach to that. Thank you for sharing all that. Now, you just mentioned your age. We're going to kind of go back on the lighter end. Can you share a little bit how strength training and staying physically fit has kept you literally moving forward? And I mean, when you told me your age, I was like, wow, you still don't look that age. Number one, teaching keeps you young. You look at your mom. She still looks real young. Yeah, yeah. Because she's around kids all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing. The second thing is uh, when uh, the year I had my knee scoped, I've only had one knee scope. I knew that I had to better prepare myself for the basketball season so that in order to take the beating, that basketball officials really take a beating. I mean, when I saw a guy at our banquet, he, he was a Hall of Fame member, and he said, how many games did you do this year? And he's younger than I am, and he's retired. I said, I, I did 63. And uh, he said, man, how do you do it? Uh, and then I started a regimen. I first started out as just riding stationary bike. Now that regimen has gone into full bore. I do some weights. If I can't lift more than 10 reps, I don't lift it. That's too heavy. Stretching total-wise, probably about 45 minutes. In a gym, stretching. And I do a couple of yoga poses for balance. And I stretch my Achilles out. In both inside and outside, I missed a whole season one year because I popped an Achilles on the out, I popped a tendon on the outside of my foot. And they said you're done for the year. I said why, and he said that takes 
18 to 24 weeks to heal, and there's no surgery for that. So uh, I was a good boy. But all the surgeries that I've had have been incurred except for one. have been incurred basically because of athletics. And, you know, maybe I'm lucky. Appendicitis, that's who had that. But you learn how to go through those. I tell I have guys now that are having shoulder problems at the gym, and I go, well, I've had six shoulder surgeries, three on each, but I'm still managed to have full range of motion. And I learned that a long time ago, that range of motion and stretching is vital for the older you get. Yeah. I know I've learned that for myself with all the injuries that I have accumulated throughout my career. And exactly what you just said, range of motion and making sure your body's strong in that range of motion as well. I'm never going to have huge muscles on my bicep, but I'm going to be just as strong as the other person anyway, because the other person's only lifting weight maybe three inches up just to build strength. Right. Or hypertrophy. To where, and, and I go, you guys are killing yourself because you won't be able to, you won't be able to move when you're older. Yeah. Yeah. Range of motion is huge. I saw a guy out at the lake, Liberty Lake, the, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he he said, I, "I see what you're doing." I said, "Yeah, I stretch, Gary. Gary's probably 75, pushing 80." And he goes, "I don't stretch very well." And I go, "You have to start, and you have to be religious at it. And sooner or later, you will get flexible." When I first started, really the stretching technique, I couldn't touch my toes. Now I can go all the way to the floor. Please uh, touch my fingers, but I can still spread my legs, and I can put my knuckles on the floor. How long did that take you to, once you started the stretching regimen into your routines, how long did that take you to increase that range of motion? It took me about a month before I could touch my toes. Okay, and that's doing it every day? I'm a very high-strung, tight-muscled person anyway. Uh, It kind of reminds me of a girl by the name of Anna Willard. (laughs) That way, too. You know, I still do some of the exercises that, that we used to do prior to volleyball. Prior to warming up, we, we did basic stretching. And sure, then I gave you guys time to stretch on your own, too, because something in your body may hurt, and you stretch it, and you feel it better, and you can get through the practice a little bit better. But I'm pretty religious about what I do. I still have a major back issue from middle school. There was one time I was going out to a game, and I froze up. I couldn't do it. And so I finally went to the spine specialist and they said, your hips are too tight and your back muscles are taken over. Through exercise, I don't have near the back problems or issues because you stay disciplined at it and you work at it. Yeah. No, it's funny because when clients come to me and they're like, oh, my back hurts. I'm like, okay, let's open up your hips. And they're like, really? It's my hips that's causing all this back pain? And they're like, don't I stretch out my back to alleviate? I'm like, well, your back is compensating for lack of motion in your hips and explaining it that way. First thing you ask them is say, cross your legs. <laughs> they uh, can't do it. They go, there's your problem right there. And right. Uh, I get concerned because uh, my college roommate, he got in a car accident but let himself go. He's shorter than I am. And he probably goes over 350 pounds. And uh, his wife has talked to me about him getting knee replacement because he's always had bad knee. And I said, well, He's got to shed pounds first because the doctor won't touch him. The doctor won't touch him. So outside of that, I told her, I said, when he does get his knees replaced, I'm coming over and make sure he doesn't screw it up. because (laughs) I I will become his coach, basically. 
to get going again and get moving so that he can live a better, healthier life rather than at the age of 65 sitting in a wheelchair because he can't get, can't move. Well, I love your passion for just allowing and giving people the freedom to have a good quality life through their health. Yeah. It's a balance of everything. How disciplined are you to balance it out? And uh, I do it my own way, but also maybe I have a little step in on anybody because I, I was always involved in athletics. I have phys ed masters. That really helped me out too. I have a wife who was a phys ed teacher that I yeah. get ideas from as far as stretching and doing different things. And so that has helped me a lot. I'm not afraid to ask questions either. As we wrap up, is there any other insight that you would like for other people to know about how important health is and how important health has helped you move forward with some of these really hard deaths in your life? As far as teaching, there have been three teachers that have really influenced the way I taught. And you have to borrow from a lot of people in order to get who you are going to be. One of them, he could deliver a lecture. The other one, he was a lot of fun and offbeat all the time. And he had his PhD. <laughs> the other one could manage a classroom. And I pick and choose from there. And people have to do that. But they have to be their own person. They have to have their own self-discipline. That way their self-esteem is okay too. And they can't look for somebody else to do it. They have to do it. And my mom lived till she was 92, but I kept her independent as long as I could. Allow people make their own decisions. You might have to have a little influence in there. You don't want to step on their toes in order to get, especially the older generation. And, you know, Nancy and I are both in our 60s now. And, you know, we're going, man, I wonder how our kids are going to treat us. If I found this out, that if you start telling them what to do, they're going to revolt. And so discipline and self-esteem go hand in hand to me. And sure, you're going to have your good days and your bad days. Just like at Freeman, I had my good days and bad days, but the good days will always outweigh the bad days. And you won't like that class reunion I'm going to. Sure, they'll mention that, Davis, you chewed my butt one time, but they'll look at me and say, I deserved it. I understand that. And uh, I say, well, I'm sorry I did it, but it was something that had to be done at that time. A little tough love type of thing. Yeah, we talk about those moments now and we laugh about them. We really do. And it's just like, oh man, my mom jumped all over my, and you mention the time to your mom about you doing that. And you just laugh at each other. Like, yeah, we had to do that though. My parents had seven kids and the best advice as a parent she gave me is it's not a popularity contest. You have to do what's right for your own kid. Other than that, discipline, self-esteem, hand in hand. Yeah, I like that. That's great. Well, we're going to wrap it up, but thank you Kenny, so much for kind of reserving this day, getting equipment for this to make this work and everything. And I just love your discipline as you even demonstrate through this to be on the show. And I just appreciate all that you have given me within my life and all the students that you've given at Freeman and that aspect of self-discipline and self-esteem through the schoolwork and also sports as well. So I just want to honor you and thank you so much with that. We're going to be wrapping up here. I'm going to be introducing our next show, which is with Kathy Murphy. She is a sound bowl instructor or 
healer, more, I should say healer. And she was at the spiritual retreat that I was at that I shared in my first episode, the very first one. And I'm super excited to have her on because she's going to be sharing about more of the science aspect of healing with sound bowls and the effects it has on our chakras and the human body and other areas of trauma that kind of get stuck within our body. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please share, give it the five-star rating, and we will look forward to to our next session. Peace and out.